This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, where we focus on one big story. Today's Thursday, May 20th. Stocks are up, Weekly jobless claims are down to a new pandemic low, and we're focused on efforts to stop anti-Asian hate. President Biden this afternoon signed new legislation aimed at addressing anti-Asian hate crimes, which Congress had passed earlier this week on a bipartisan basis. Now, this is the part where I would normally rattle off statistics about anti-Asian hate crimes, but the reality is the federal government doesn't really track it, which is a big part of what this bill is designed to address tracking of racially motivated crimes. And that matters a lot, because even though the feds aren't keeping formal tabs, others are. A report earlier this month from Cal State San Bernardino found that reported hate incidents against Asians in 16 of America's largest cities rose a whopping 164% year over year, while another group called Stop AAPI Hate reported over 6,600 incidents in just March alone. And that includes, of course, the horrific massage parlor massacre in Atlanta. The bottom line here is this is a major problem that's getting worse, not better, sparking understandable fear among Asian Americans who just want to walk, shop, and live safely in their communities. So today we want to speak with Emma Lovewell, who's best known to millions of Peloton enthusiasts as one of its top instructors, but who also helped lobby for this bill in Congress. We'll ask Emma what prompted her to get political, what the experience was like, and most importantly, why this bill matters so much for Asian Americans like herself. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by Peloton instructor Emma Lovewell. Why did you get involved in what was ultimately a political issue? Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Um, I am half Taiwanese. My mom is from Taiwan. And I love to share stories about myself in my rides. I think that I have this amazing platform where I am in people's homes, right? And so I really feel like when I can share a piece of myself, we end up learning about each other and realizing that we have a lot more in common than maybe initially you would think. And I taught a Lunar New Year ride in February to celebrate the new year. And this was about the time that there was an uptick in Asian violence. And I thought, you know what? I can't not bring this up. This is a part of my life. I am feeling the the worry, the concern for myself, my safety, my family's safety. And so I spoke out about it in my Lunar New Year ride. And that was kind of how this started. Was, I'm curious, when you had conversations with your family, was this something others in your family were also feeling too, kind of the, the just that, that rising tide, even if it wasn't hitting you individually? Yeah. So, you know, what happened is I started having really difficult conversations with my family, with my mom, with, you know, my mom is in her 60s and, um, you know, as I said, she's Taiwanese. And, and there was an incident where she wanted to go to the shopping mall by herself um, in the city and just a week before, there was an act of violence on an elderly woman just 10 blocks away from where she was. And I I had to sit her down and we had a really difficult conversation. I, I don't like to operate out of fear. I'm somebody who promotes positivity. And so I don't want to 
act out of pure fear, but I don't want to be thoughtless. And I thought if anything happened, bad happened to my mom, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. I was having difficult conversations with my cousins, with my aunts and uncles. It was, it was real. And it was definitely a fear that was existing amongst my family. How do you, in your own head, go from conversations with family, raising issues on, on, say, a Peloton ride, or even on your own social media, to, I'm going to go to Washington and talk to lawmakers? This was new to me. You know, this is not something that I do on a daily basis. But what I do do on a daily basis is share stories. And I speak to people. I um, relate to people. So this just felt like another opportunity to speak out on something that I believed in. And when I was given this opportunity to protect my family, that's that's really what it felt like is to um, protect people that I love. Of course, I'm going to take that opportunity. What was the experience like walking the halls of Congress and, and talking with, with senators and, and congresspeople? Well, so it was all virtual. So I, I went to Capitol Hill virtually. I was nervous. You know, I think um, I was instructed, you know, senators and congressmen and congresswomen don't like to be interrupted. So make sure you don't interrupt them. I took that note to heart. You know, I put away my spandex for the day and I put on a nice blouse and <laughs> and I was instructed to speak from the heart. So I, I shared some personal stories about my family, similar to, you know, what I'm telling you here now. And just my concern. It is um, our right as a U.S. citizen to write to our congressmen and congresswomen. And I thought this is just an elevated experience. And um, I was happy to take it. What, if anything, surprised you most about those conversations? Most surprising was how not scary it was. I was um, I was a little nervous going into it. But once I started speaking, and, and these are people, these are humans, just like everybody else who have the same concerns or have heard the same concerns that I have. This, was, this wasn't an unknown topic. And it is a bipartisan, it is a human rights issue that I think a lot of people, I think we can all agree that hate is bad. And so in that way, it just wasn't as scary as initially I thought it was. What was it about this legislation that that you thought was particularly important? We've heard about, you know, hate crime bills coming up in the past in, in different different ways. What was it about this one? It was so relevant. It was so in the moment. This is happening right now. It is in the news. People are talking about it more and more. And it was an under the radar topic. It was kind of hidden a little bit throughout the pandemic. And now it was coming out. And I mean, the the bill supports catching data, right? And supporting that. So that's not going to solve the issue. But I do believe that this is the first step in addressing it is just having these conversations. And this forces us to have this conversation. Politics is is often about compromise. Is there something you wish was in this bill that isn't? No, I'm not here to say that. I think that I I am supporting what is here. I do believe it's the first step. And I, I am not a politician and I am not a lawmaker. And so that's why we hire other people to, to create these, these bills and these laws. But I do believe it, it's a good first step. The bill did pass Congress this week. Uh, how did you find out and what was your reaction? I had been emailing with my family about it. And so um, I think my dad texted me actually, and he was like, check out the news, it passed. You know, I, I got a few messages from friends who had known that I was following this bill pretty closely. So, so it was nice. It felt like a, a good win for the people in my life. Emma, final question for you. Are you optimistic or pessimistic when it comes to anti-Asian hate in the U.S.? I have to be optimistic. 
I have to be because I, um, I can't live my life believing that this country supports hate and, and violence against people like myself. Right. So I need to, and that's, this is what I do every day is I, I bring positivity. I bring light. I bring, um, optimism. That doesn't mean I don't talk about difficult things, but I do need to believe that there is hope on a daily basis. And that's what keeps me going. Emma Lovewell, who you can follow on Instagram at Emma Lovewell. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Welcome back. What we're watching today is government interference with social media. Facebook says that its services were interrupted 84 times in 19 countries during the second half of 2020, which represented a very significant increase over the first half of 2020. It also says that government requests for user data jumped by 10% during that period, the largest number of which came from the U.S. Other major user data requesters included India, Germany, France, Brazil, and the U.K. The big picture here is that COVID-19 has had a major impact on how governments interact with social media companies and their content. In lots of cases, these moves are legitimately designed to prevent the flow of medical misinformation that, if left unchecked, could have terrible consequences for public safety. But in some cases, it's governments using COVID-19 as a pretext to stop political dissent. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Naomi Shaven, Sabina Sangani, Justin Kaufman, and Ben O'Brien. Please be sure to leave us a review. And if you don't already subscribe or follow the podcast, do so. Have a great national Be A Millionaire Day. Yeah, just go do it. Go be a millionaire. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.